If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. We will read verses 1 to 14. I want to commend you on something. The last time I preached from the book of Jeremiah and I asked everyone to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the whole room laughed. Because it's funny, apparently, that I have a name that's in the Bible. And you guys didn't do that, which makes me feel that much more comfortable with you this morning. And I am encouraged by your seriousness to look into the Word of God this morning. Picking up at where we were last week, we're going to continue to think of the major areas that we need to focus on in a new year. And as we look at this very familiar passage, I pray it sends us out into our community to live for the Lord and point others to the hope that we have as we look in this passage, a very familiar passage, and maybe are surprised as the prophet tells us to live for the good of Babylon. With all that in mind, let's read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. This is the word of the Lord. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasah, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which 
I sent you into exile. At one point in my life, this was my least favorite passage in the Bible. I did not like it at all. It was all my church's fault. Every single Sunday, we had a building campaign. We wanted a bigger sanctuary. Or we wanted a bigger building where lots of people could come and hear about Jesus. And so we needed some money. So to encourage this in the church, I was in middle school, by the way, during this time. To make this happen, the music minister found a song based off of Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope and a future, plans for welfare. And we sang this song every Sunday for more than a year. I can still sing it to you, and I will not do that. I hate that song. But the gist of that song, in the context that we sang it in that church, is exactly how we think of this verse. It's a bumper sticker verse, a piece of art in a hallway, a slogan that we use to, to, to cling to the, the, the good news that God wants us to be rich and that God wants things to be easy for us, that we'll never get sick, we'll never have struggles. If we do, it's because we have a lack of faith. God has a plan for you. And that is absolutely not what Jeremiah has to say in Jeremiah 29. One of my favorite things to do is to take a familiar passage in the Bible and flip it on its head and, and demonstrate how we actually don't really know the passages that we think we know. This passage is not to give you a hope that God's got a big check coming your way or that whatever illness, disease, ailment you have going, God has plans to get rid of it. That is not what he is calling the people of Israel to believe in and to hope. He is trying to change them so that they live where they are for the good of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, the message is the same for us. I want you to know this today. Our future hope should transform the way we live in our city today. If we believe we will be with God in the new Jerusalem, the new city one day, if we believe we will rise again from the dead and live with God forever, if we believe that is true, it should change how we live in our hometown, in our city right now. The title of this is For the Good of Babylon, but it could be For the Good of Carl Junction, For the Good of Joplin, For the Good of Pittsburgh, Kansas, wherever you call home, God wants you to live for its good today. I want to give you three reasons that should be the way you live, the way we should live in our cities for the here and now. The first reason that we will find that we can live for the good of our home is our identity, who we are once we belong to God, our identity. Look at verse 4. Jeremiah writes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles 
whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. There's a conversation happening in my house right now. My kids are asking their parents and asking each other why they have the names they have. Just as we were driving to church this morning, one of my kids said, when I was being born, what other names did you want for me? They want to know this, this because their name matters to them. In, in the Bible's days, it, it mattered all the more. Names signified not only what to call someone, but what God might have intended for them or what the parents hoped for their life. These aren't names, but there's, there's two designations that God gives the people of Israel to signify what he wants for them, what he wants their life to be. The first designation he gives them is the word exiles. Verse 4, he says, to all the exiles. 600 years before Jesus is born, before that first Christmas, Israel is in the land of their enemy. They are not in Israel. They have been taken captive and the king and all the leaders, the artists, the elites, the rich have been taken to Babylon. They live as refugees in the city of the enemy of God. The people of God are living in prison camps, in a ghetto, in a place that hates them. They have very little hope. They have very, re very little reason to like the place they are living. But before we see what God calls them to do and to be like, friend, do you know if you are a believer in Christ who you are? You are not an American. You are not a citizen of Missouri or Kansas. You are not a citizen of Carl Junction. You are an exile. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So we need to do some reflection. Friends, we are not at home here. We are foreigners. We are illegals. We are different. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Israel was in exile, they had two temptations. Two little voices in the back of their head telling them, to make it easier on themselves. The first temptation was to withdraw, to hide, to pull back. The second temptation was to compromise, to adapt, to accommodate. False, promise, false prophets were there telling the people of Israel, don't worry, wait it out. God is about to bring you home this week. He doesn't like Babylon either. He's going to help you escape. So don't get involved. Don't get invested. There were others who had given up, 
didn't believe God was going to change anything. And so what they did, they said, well, if you can't beat Babylon, join them. Become a Babylonian. Live like them. Serve their gods. Act the way they do. Go with the flow. Don't you see these same two temptations for the people of God? Either to withdraw or to compromise? How easy is it to just hide in some Christian bubble where you're isolated and kept from too much evil influence? There's not, there's not a lot of outside influence in our life. An extreme example of this is the Amish community. They have completely withdrawn, bubbled themselves away from the world. But it's just as easy to compromise. And we see this on every corner of America, where the church has decided to act just like the rest of the world, to accommodate, to adjust its message, to be more modern, to be more current, to be more relevant, to not be so controversial. But we can neither withdraw or compromise as exiles. John 17, verse 15 to 17. This is what Jesus prayed for us. I do not ask that you take them out, withdraw them from the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then Jesus gets to this second designation in Jeremiah. We're not just exiles. We are sent. We are sent ones. Look again at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of God, the, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This probably sent shockwaves to the people. The people of God living as, as refugees and prisoners in this evil nation. The prophet says, you know who did this to you? Not Nebuchadnezzar. The king of Israel brought you here. He sent you here. Jeremiah 25 is even clearer. In verse 9, it says, Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. To be clear, Jesus is saying, you know how you ended up in Babylon? It wasn't politics. And it wasn't an accident. And the fact that you're living as a, as a refugee in this camp, that's not a tragedy. It's an appointment. This is my strategy for you. God put his people exactly where he wanted them. January 20. 22, with all that's going on in the world, guess what? Where you are is not an accident. What you are going through is not a tragedy. It is an appointment. As Jesus continues to pray in John 17, verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So as sent ones, we cannot withdraw and we cannot compromise. Tim Keller says it this way. 
Christians must become a counterculture for the common good. Listen, they must be radically different from the surrounding city, yet radically committed to its benefit. Radically different, radically committed. Now here's the question. When people watch you, do they see both of those? Are you radically different from the status quo? Do you make people uncomfortable? Do you rock their world with the way that you are so peculiar in your living? But at the same time, are you radically committed to give yourself, to serve, to sacrifice, to die to yourself for the betterment of those people whom you are exactly so different from? Radically different, radically committed. Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, just let me ask you to begin thinking, how do you put that into practice? Well, Jeremiah gives an action plan to the people of Israel and I will submit to you that it is very close to the action plan that Jesus has for us today. The second reason we can live for the good of our city is our calling. We have an identity in Christ, but we have a calling from Christ as well. Let's read verses 5 to 9 to see that. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So interesting. The dynamic that's happening in Jeremiah's day is definitely happening in our day. The word on the street. The common sense interpretation of world events and what's going on. And the words from the prophets of the day do not match what is true about God. And God has a different message for his people. The people, the prophets, want to tell people good news. Nothing to worry about. We're going to get out of here. They're like a, a prisoner just waiting for parole. Just bide your time. But God's got a different plan. He's got four steps into an action plan. He says, plant roots, multiply, invest, and pray. If, if you're in exile, Israel, what do you need to do? You need to plant roots. You need to multiply. You need to invest, and you need to pray. Let's walk through those together. First, he says, plant roots. In verse 5, it says, build houses. Plant gardens. Now, some of you, not me, love this verse. 
this might be coming to, to your hallway, to, to a picture frame in your house. You love working on your house. You love working in the garden. You got the green thumb. You go to Home Depot for fun. I don't understand that kind of life. You watch home improvement shows, do-it-yourself shows, and you think about how you can, you can add to your house, to your garden. People of Israel are probably more like me. Think how hard it would be for Israel to hear that. God is, is basically saying, I know you want to go home. Build a home. I, I know you want to go back to where you came from. This is your new hometown. You're staying. Don't rent an apartment, build a house. Don't buy a week's worth of groceries, plant a garden. Establish a presence, plant roots. Then he tells them, multiply. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. God's call to Israel in Babylon, it's the same thing he told Adam in the perfect garden. Their mission in the evil empire is the same as it was in paradise. You know, I don't regularly agree with the Pope on a whole lot, but maybe you heard his recent comments this last week. Got caught into some, some fire because he had the audacity to suggest that married couples should have kids. We live in a, in a society that doesn't prioritize family, doesn't prioritize biblical marriage, it does not prioritize kids. And young people are, are, are developed and, 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 and brought up to, to think first and foremost how to be successful, how to have a career for themselves, to do what makes them happy when God has told us be fruitful and multiply. And that didn't change based on their circumstances. He wanted them to display their identity in a hostile world by growing, by reproducing. And he means that both literally and metaphorically. Let me translate that. You know what the church should do? You know what should make us different radically from society? As the world lives as it does? The community of the people of God should make babies and make disciples. That is part of our calling. We should love the family. We should build up the family in a culture that undermines it. We should champion the gifts of children and grandchildren. The plan continues. Not only should we multiply, we should invest. Verse 7, it's a mind-blowing verse. God says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Pursue its good. Now, from the Tower of Babel to the book of Revelation, from beginning to end, the Bible presents this story where Babylon 
represents all that is evil. The city of Satan. The city that attacks God himself. The archenemy of Jerusalem. The headquarters of all that is evil. And God tells his people, work for its benefit. If you're going to fight, don't fight against Babylon. Fight for it to succeed. Have you ever heard that message from the church? It's so counterintuitive. We think God wants us to wage war on culture, to find every political issue where we disagree, and to launch into battle when really the message is invest, build them up, fight for their good, strategize. So that they benefit, because when they benefit, so do you. Or as Jesus said, love your enemy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, we see this story in the New Testament. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. And so we invest, but we also pray. End of verse 7, Jeremiah says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on Babylon's behalf. It's the only time in the Old Old Testament God tells the people of Israel, his people, to pray for their enemies. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus doubles down. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to tie it all together, but let me just ask. God doesn't want to know how much you protest against the evil in our day. God wants to know how much do you pray. How much time do you spend praying for those people that are so easy to blast on social media? For every one post you have for those guys, you ought to have 10 prayers. Plant roots, multiply, invest, and pray. Have you noticed something? Which one of those is quick? Which one of those is short-term? You can't plant roots immediately. You can't multiply just like that. Investment is a lifetime strategy. And prayer, you know this, is never automatic and never right then and there. It is a waiting game. Friends, God is calling the people of Israel and he's calling us to have a long-term investment strategy for our community. Let me ask you, what would happen if we actually started seeing ourselves as missionaries, as exiles sent by God to live for the good of our neighbors around us? I think we'd look a lot like the church in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47, 
Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me just make it really personal for you. At the beginning of the year, as you think about what God has for you in 2022 and the city that he has placed you, what steps can you take to live out this calling? What can you do to personally invest in your neighbors? How can you more actively love your enemy? Let me just make a suggestion. One of the best places to start is that last one, pray. Not just in your room, in your prayer closet. Get out on the street and pray for your neighbors. As you drive past establishments that you wouldn't walk in. As you drive downtown, as you drive and you see the needs, pray in your car. Turn the radio off and invest in the welfare of the people you see walking by. Let God show you an opportunity as you do this to pursue the shalom, the peace of Babylon. And when it gets frustrating because people are people, and when it gets tiring because it takes longer than you want, you have another reason to live for the good of your city. Beyond our identity and beyond our calling, the best reason to live this way is because of our king. Now let me finish this passage verses 10 to 14, and point you to our king to send you out in such a way that we live for the good of our neighbors. Starting in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. When people quote this, it's always this idea that God wants it to be easy for you. God just wants smooth sailing. And if you're really faithful, your life's always going to be a piece of cake. Like the false prophets of the day, we sing peace, peace to you. But Jeremiah, he, he tells the people that this promise is only coming after 70 years of captivity. An entire lifetime. There will be people born in Babylon who will die before the promise comes. So it is not a promise that it will all be easy. It's not a hope in circumstances. It's a hope in God himself who does not change. 
I want to show you five truths about God. These are so quick, but these are the reasons that we can always live for the good of our city. But first, God is sovereign. He tells him, I know the plans I have for you. This, this is only lasting 70 years. The timeline is not up in the air. He's not saying you might be there a little longer, and, and if the king feels a certain way, you might get out. He, this is going to happen. I write this down in Sharpie. Not only is God sovereign, he's just. Verse 10, he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon. You see that? That phrase is pointing to the fact that God is setting up justice against the enemy. Even though he sovereignly put Israel into exile in Babylon, God is going to hold Babylon responsible for the evil they do against the people. And he is a God of justice. And he will make it happen. Jeremiah 25, verse 12, Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity. Not only is God just, he's faithful. He says, I will fulfill my promise. What promise are you waiting on God to answer? Been waiting so long, you're just not sure it's going to happen. Can you at least just cling to that part for the rest of today and as you leave? God says, I will fulfill it. All his promises are yes in Christ. Not only is he faithful, he's accessible. Verse 12, you will call and I will hear. Verse 13, you will seek and you will find. Even in the evil empire, the capital of Babylon, the people of Israel could go to God. There was no temple there. There was no synagogue there. It didn't matter. Even then, God is accessible to his people. Not only that, it shows us that God himself is our rescue. Verse 14, he says, I will bring you back. And he did. Seventy years later, he used not an Israelite, but a Persian king named Cyrus to bring his people back to the land. God did that. When God tells Israel, I know the plans I have for you, he's not primarily calling them to put their hope that God will fill their pockets with money and their stomachs with food. He's asking them to expect God to be who he is and to hold him to his word. Friend, where has he proven that more than through his son, Jesus Christ? According to his sovereign plan, Jesus was the sent one to live among his people who were exiled out of the first garden. And when he went to the cross, he proved that God is just and would punish the wicked. Because Jesus took the guilt and the sin and the wickedness of our lives on himself and paid the penalty that we deserve. Three days later, God rose him from the grave to prove that God is faithful and he will fulfill his word. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult. And he sits at the right hand of God right now because he is accessible. And if you put your trust in him, brothers and sisters, he will be your rescue. He will save you. 
can give you a life full of joy that is not even worth comparing to this exile that we endure today. Friend, have you ever come to the Lord and embraced him and received a relationship with him like that? God doesn't expect you to be a perfect citizen. He doesn't expect you to be a good Boy Scout or Girl Scout to live with appropriate manners and and good morals. He wants you to recognize your inability to escape the exile of your sin and the need that you have for a Savior and the reality that he sent his son Jesus to bring you back. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you have never put your hope in Jesus that way, do it right now. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will not disappoint. But church family, consider those words from Peter. 1 Peter 1, 13. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's letter is just like Jeremiah's. He's calling the church to this truth. We are going to be here for a while. You are going to be in exile. But don't lose sight of your hope. Don't lose sight of what God has for you in the future. Keep your head on straight. Quit listening to the word on the street and the false prophets who say if you just do this, it'll all be easy. It'll all be glory here. Peace, peace. Friends, that is not the word from God. God did not send them. But God has sent us to live with some gospel intentionality in our city, to live for its good. And even as they come to attack us and work for our evil, we bless them. We pray for them. We seek their good. And we do that because we know where home is. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. That is our home. And that is our hope. And with that in mind, friends, we cannot give up. We cannot withdraw. We cannot compromise. We must embrace who we are and set our hope on his promise. And we, looking to that day, can live for the good of Babylon. Let us pray.